Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. I'll begin today's message by asking you a question. Are you succeeding in your walk with Jesus? Are you succeeding in your walk with Jesus? Uh, We can uh, ask that question corporately as well. Are we succeeding as a church in what God has called us to do? Friends, here's the reality today. God has not created you just to survive. And sadly, and particularly in uncertain times, uh, it bothers me that way too many people and I'm speaking of Christians, are kind of just hanging on. And we feel like we're just hanging on. And we just got to get through this season or get through the next season or get through this challenge or get through the next challenge. God has not created you just to survive. God wants us to succeed. And that's kind of a, it's a dangerous word to use because I, I think we have all kinds of wrong images and understandings that pop into our head when we use that word succeed. But in fact, there is a whole bunch of stuff that God would love for us to succeed at. And the great thing is, it's not for God's benefit, it's actually for our benefit. And sometimes we read things in God's Word that make it seem like God is very demanding of us, that He demands our worship, that He demands our service, that He demands this, that He demands that. But the reality is it is not a sovereign God demanding things of us because He's on some power trip. It is our Creator God who is giving us boundaries, who's giving us guidelines, who is helping us understand how we can live our lives to the fullest. And so he gives us these principles to live by, not because he demands it, because in those things we discover what it is to live in harmony with God and with others and to fulfill the purpose that he's placed us for on this earth. Can I hear an amen this morning? So here's a few things that God would love for us to excel at, a few things that God would love for us to know. First of all, He would love for us to know what it is to live in prayerful dependence upon Him. And let me give you a true confession this morning. Um, My life is in far greater balance when I intentionally take time to sit in the presence of God and still myself in His presence and offload to God in His presence. How many of us actually go through life carrying a load that we weren't meant to carry because God says, here I am. Jesus said, cast your care upon me. And when I discipline myself to what God requires, I suddenly realize, actually, that's for my benefit. And so God would love us to understand and to know what it is to live in daily prayerful dependence upon Him. God would love us to excel in our worship of Him. And again, that's not because it strokes the ego of God. 
It's because as we worship God, we're actually engaging in one of the purposes for which we were created, which is to worship Him. And again, not for His benefit, for our benefit, because when we worship God, we're taking the attention away from ourselves and we're declaring the glory and the goodness of God and the provision of God and the favor of God and the the resources of God. And we bring our lives into that perspective. It's for our benefit. God wants us to know what it is to live in healthy fellowship. And it's one of the things I love about our church. I think we're doing pretty good at this. We are family. That we would in this place have relationships that are beautifully characterized by grace and love. God would want us to know what it is to live victoriously in and through His living Word. And again, when I discipline myself to sit in the presence of God with an open Bible, there is something beautiful and supernatural that transpires. It's not for God's benefit that He says, you know, read my word. Psalmist says, I will not neglect God's word. Again, it's not for God's benefit. It's for our benefit, our creator God saying, I know how I've created you and here are the things, here are the principles, here are the disciplines in life that are going to help life make sense. In the words of the writer of the Hebrews, and this is the, the uh, title of my message today, we've got to learn to let go of the things that are holding us back from living in the fullness of God. Hebrews 12 and 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to read that again from the message. I don't know, what, what translation did you use this morning, eh? What was, oh, it was passion. That was great as well. Uh, message says, Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, It means we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running and never quit. No extra spiritual fat. No parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Powerful. Wayne Cordero has a book called The Divine Mentor. And in it, he basically says, we all need people in life who will champion us in faith. 
people who have gone before us, people who have walked where we have walked, people who would encourage us, people who would cheer us on, people who would keep us spiritually accountable. And the whole premise of this book, The Divine Mentor, is the fact that we have dozens and dozens and dozens of these people cheering us on in the pages of God's Word. Great men and women of God who have successfully run the race. And if you look at Hebrews 11, there is this great list of men and women of God who have achieved incredible things, not in their natural ability, but through faith in God. And it gives us some names like Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Moses and Rahab, Gideon, David, all these great champions. They've all done the hard yards. And they are the witnesses to us that Hebrews 12 talks about. They're telling us what they know. They're giving us their example. They're showing us what they have experienced. And as we see them and as we read of their lives and their challenges and their victories, we have hope. We have hope because they made it. And all of these men and women of God were humanly very, very flawed. They all probably felt totally inadequate. But all of them must have come to a place where they'd let go of what it was that kept them from running the race well. And here's the thing. The race that they were called to run is exactly the same race that you and I are called to run. And I'm not giving you a challenge either last week in the context of the message or today. I'm not giving you a challenge to do something that is necessarily new and foreign. You know, some people foolishly say at times, well, I'm scared to pray for God's will for my life because he's going to send me somewhere I don't like to be a missionary. It's just silly thinking. God is simply calling to us to engage in what He has created us to do and gifted us to do by His Holy Spirit. I think I told this story a number of years ago, uh, but uh, we were uh, graciously given the use of a jet ski. Thank you, Tony Robinson, who is in the house today. Uh, Sorry to embarrass you with that. But uh, he generously loaned us his jet ski for the summer and we had a blow-up donut to tow behind the jet ski. And we had a, well, it it was intended to be a lot of fun, except as I started towing the kids around on the jet ski, um, the kids were just constantly complaining that they were just getting hit with all the, the wash from the jet on the jet ski and it was really hard to control and the thing would come around on the whip. I'm going, oh, this is really, really hard. And I did turn it over once and lost my glasses, my phone and Pastor Dan's car keys. <laughs> but it was really, really hard work. And I think I was at Deegan Marine, I think buying another life vest and uh, suddenly realized what the problem was. I'd been towing the kids with a mooring rope, not a tow rope. Rookie error. A mooring rope is really thick and about two meters long. 
Uh, a tow rope is very, very long and it's thin, which means it stretches. So when they come around on the whip, the thing stretches and doesn't put the jet ski over. So total rookie error. But as soon as we were using the rope that was fit for purpose, it suddenly became fun and enjoyable. And here's my point. What God has called you to do, what God has gifted you to do, what God has set you apart to do, how God has wired you, the DNA that He's placed within you, whatever it is that He's calling you to do, it will be fulfilling, it will be exciting, there will be joy, there will be happiness, there will be a sense of purpose and mission, and it'll be fun. Ephesians 2 and 10, Paul says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Part of his design for your life. The good works he prepared in advance for us to do. And then the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12 and 1, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. What a great couch time uh, with the maze. And what a great way again to honour uh, Colin uh, and Glenda this morning. And right there we've had two wonderful examples of people running with perseverance. Because this race that we are in, takes a lifetime this race we're in is not a short race this race we're in is not a sprint it is a marathon and it will take a lifetime and it requires persistence it requires perseverance it requires diligence it requires endurance and you know perseverance is a really overlooked word yeah, it's not a popular word, not something we speak a lot of nowadays. But perseverance is absolutely critical. I listened uh, to a podcast and uh, a guy called Jeff Mannion was being interviewed. And he said this, As a culture, we are addicted to immediacy and we are allergic to boredom. And because of this, some of us will miss out on the greatest opportunity for impact and influence. And he went on to talk about the fact that the greatest influences are most often not the high profile charismatic leaders of great movements. Those guys are few and far between. The greatest influences, friends, are those who just faithfully serve day in, day out. Just engaging on what it is that God has given them to do. Loving people and serving God. And the sad thing is perseverance is not a flashy virtue. Faithfulness is not a terribly flashy virtue. It's a quiet virtue. Craig Grishel says that one of the traps for young leaders is that they overestimate what can be accomplished in a short amount of time and they undervalue what can be achieved through a lifetime of faithfulness. It's great insight. John 14 and 12, I tell you the truth. This is Jesus' words. Anyone who has faith in me 
will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Interesting words. And uh, people often give a wrong take on these words because Jesus says greater things. If you put your faith in me, you'll do greater things than I do. That's pretty challenging because Jesus raised the dead. Where do you go from there? But we need to understand he wasn't talking about the nature of what he was doing. The qualifying statement here is because I'm going to the Father. When Jesus ascended to the Father, what happened? It made way for the Holy Spirit to come and inhabit the life of every believer. Which meant from that moment on, through the course of history, there will not be one person, Jesus. There will be billions of people in which the Spirit of Jesus lives and works through and right there. What Jesus is speaking about is multiplication. It's a greater work because it's not just Jesus. It's billions of Spirit-filled followers of Christ continuing His work. That's the nature of the greater work. Friends, don't miss the significance of what it is that you are called to do now. Don't miss the significance of the small acts of just serving and loving and being generous. Don't miss the significance of raising your children in a household of faith. Don't miss the significance of what you're doing now because you somehow perceive it to be pretty insignificant. Friends, just faithfully serve God right where you are, day in, day out, month in, month out, Year in, year out, I guarantee if you stay the course, if you persevere, there will come a day when you look back and you praise God for the lives impacted and changed through your simple, faithful obedience. Now, maybe it's a sign that I'm getting older. (laughs) My notes say old. I changed it to older. So maybe it's a sign that I'm getting old. I don't naturally gravitate to the messages and to the books of younger leaders. Now, let me qualify that because I do actually get really, really excited by the young up-and-coming leaders and I particularly love hearing their take on culture and how to reach and connect with the next generation. But I know there is far greater gold to learn from the champions who have just served God faithfully out of the limelight. They mightn't be on Instagram. In fact, most of them probably aren't. But they have substance and they have credibility because they have a story that they have lived, not just a theory that they're experimenting with. And I want to hear from the leaders who have faithfully served day in and day out for decades in the one local church. Kerry and I planted this church over 17 years ago. 
And I, I've found it amusing uh, in more recent years when I'm perhaps in a gathering of other Christian leaders or pastors and I introduce myself as a pastor and a church planter. Uh, they invariably get around to the question of, well, how long ago did you plant your church? And it is amazing how their body language changes when I say 17 years. Now, to me, 17 years doesn't sound terribly long. But 17 years in church leadership is a long time. And suddenly they become very engaging and start asking a lot of questions. Kerry and I are now into our fourth decade of ministry, full-time ministry. And I think one of the greatest compliments, and it's not given as a compliment, but one of the greatest compliments that I get as I travel around, and if I go back to a place perhaps that I haven't been to for many years, people say, man, you never change. And they're not talking about my youthful glow. <laughs> Amen, says the uh, sight-impaired person in the room. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. So they're not talking about my youthful glow. Thank you, Michael. They're talking about our faithful consistency to the call of God. And I'm in a really interesting season of my life where increasingly I get more and more calls from other leaders and pastors, even from all over the country. I had another one this week uh, where there are certain issues and they just value other people's insight and wisdom and they're calling me. They're asking me for advice. I find that bizarre and I'm thinking to myself, who me? And I often think, well, why would you call me? But then I also, at the same time, get a reminder or a gentle rebuke from God saying, I've called you to lead, so lead. And again, friends, you've not been put on this earth just to have a nice job and a nice car and a nice home and nice hobbies. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but as I always say, it's not what you own, it's what owns you. You were put on this earth to be a kingdom builder and an influencer. And here is a really sobering question that every, every one of us who is a follower of Jesus needs to ask ourselves from time to time. And the question is, who is it in my life who is directly impacted or influenced by my faith? That's a sobering question. Who is it in my life who is directly impacted or influenced by my faith? And if you struggle to answer that question today, the writer of Hebrews would challenge us. Again, verse 1 of Hebrews 12, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. He's simply saying get rid of anything that stops you running well. If it hinders us, it has to go. If it slows us down, it has to go. No one except Brooke Udy runs a race like he did one year, the Bernie 10, in work boots and jeans and a jacket. And I think he had terrible shin splints for months after that. But that's not how you run a race. 
In verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, the moment we take our eyes off Jesus, we start slowing down. We go off the pace. And there is no question that the world that we live in, it throws all kinds of distractions at us. There's a great expression or a great saying that goes, if the devil can't make you bad, he will make you busy. And we've got so many demands. We are so overcommitted and so time poor. And not all of the things that demand our attention are bad things, but so often we invest way too much of ourselves into things that have no eternal value. And we have nothing left over for the things that do have eternal value. And if those things cause us to lose sight of the race that we've been called to run, they become distractions, to borrow the language of Hebrews, that entangle us. But if we keep our eyes on the goal, there is a wonderful joy that is promised. And friends, it is a joy that nothing this world has can give to us. Friends, we are to run this race to win this race. Are you giving the best of what you have to God? Is He giving, getting the best of your time, the best of your energy, the best of your focus, the best of your priorities, the best of your resources? Or are you being held back by other things? So what is it that holds us back? Verse 1, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Some hindrances aren't necessarily sinful, but they still hold us back. But then in saying that, obviously one of the greatest hindrances is sin. Sin certainly keeps us from running. But even if you are caught up in sin this morning, that can be easily dealt with. Sin is not a disqualifier, but it just shows us there is work to be done. And you have to make a personal decision to be committed to the process of dealing with the issue. And I can cheer you on, I can encourage you, I can counsel you, but I cannot do it for you. So how do we start that process? Well, the Bible tells us very clearly, name it, confess it, bring it before God, agree with God that this is not a good thing in my life, that it's holding us back, that it ensnares me, that I am not free and we know it. And also understand that there's nothing that uh, God is going to be embarrassed about or ashamed of. He already knows it anyway. He needs you to come to that place of acknowledging it before Him so He can start dealing with you. Because as long as a sinful behavior is a part of us, we're never ever going to feel fully engaged in that race. We're going to feel like we're wading through mud. So we need to get rid of any extra weight. Be honest with ourselves. Be honest with God. And even in this place this morning, say, God, what, it is, what is it that I need to hand over to you? Is there a sin that's not confessed? Is there a pain? As Abe said beautifully this morning when he began preaching my message. It's good, mate. It's good. Is there a pain that holds you back? Is there a hurt that has scarred you? 
Are there regrets? Are there failures that have crippled you? Is there unforgiveness that maybe is choking you? Are there insecurities or doubts that you simply can't let go of? Is there fear that you need to hand to God this morning? And next week we're going to talk, take the entire day to talk about fear as we begin to look at question marks. What do we do with fear? But as the rest of the team come back as well this morning, we're going to have a time of reflection. We're going to have a time of worship. And maybe we've got to have a time of honesty before God and says, God, there are things holding me back. There are hindrances. There's some reprioritizing that needs to go on in my life so that I can run that race with perseverance and run a race that is fruitful for your glory. There are things that need to change so that I can come into a place of my Christian faith making sense. That the promises of God are real, that the presence of God goes before me, that as I, I, I trust in God, as I lean not on my own understanding, that I know God just, He goes before me. That we would know what it is to cast our care upon Him, that, that we would know the peace and the joy of His presence, even at times in the most difficult of circumstances. Know what it is to live in harmony with God and harmony with others. But these things we need to lay down.